You're listening to Confidential Brief live in Johannesburg on 101.9 FM and broadcasting worldwide on highfm.com. And if you never knew, we're now available on smartphones and Androids as a downloadable app. And you can actually communicate directly with the studio using that app. You can set reminders for shows and you can even download podcasts and listen to previous shows that you may have found interesting. We continue our conversation today. We're now chatting to Sean Rudd. And Sean has recently launched a, a an organization that deals specifically with crime scene management for the security industry. Sean, welcome to the show. Hi, nice to meet you, Chet. Sean, um, this is fascinating for me. You're getting involved specifically in crime scene management. Now, when one thinks about crime scene management, one always assumes that it's the role of the South African police services, people walking around in blue hazmat type suits um, with with gloves and with booties on, etc. Are you going to be doing that? You know, in the beginning, uh, not to that extent. I think initially what it's going to be best is to particularly get to a crime scene, cordon it off, um, make sure that it's secure, that you've got, um, you know, people that aren't unnecessary spectator value, if I can put it that way, because, you know, you've firstly also got your security companies that come rushing in. Um, they're normally your first responders to the scene. And what happens is, is that they come in and sometimes they might land up doing things that, you know, kind of will taint the crime scene, if I can call it that, where they might knock around um, brass from rounds that might have been fired. They might step over footprints in the garden, for instance, or put their hands over um, fingerprints that have been left on the door by the suspect, that kind of thing. So we're going to go into training them away from those things, cordoning off a scene and actually train the the service industry in terms of the security side, how to actually go into a scene and actually manage it and actually coordinate off, make sure that it's safe, make sure that it doesn't get tainted and allow SAPs to come in and then obviously the, the crime lab from behind there to come in and then actually do their thing properly. So if I understand this, you're going to be training first responders who invariably in our current situation in South Africa are security companies, armed response companies, etc. You're going to be training them in how to preserve that crime scene while you're waiting for the authorities to arrive. Correct, yes. Um, you know, we're going to make sure that by the time SAPS does arrive to take over that scene, um, obviously in terms of by law and the, the forensics unit that they bring along, that when they get there, you know, they 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 don't get hassled because, you know, they've still got to get onto the scene. That is a mission sometimes in its own. Uh, they've got to wade their way through people um, who are trying to see what's going on, like I said, spectator value earlier. And this way we can just ensure that by the time they actually get there, what they can actually get off that scene is is kind of being preserved so they can actually get the correct DNA, get the correct fingerprints without now having to add suspects to the list where it might have been a security guard now that's come in and touched something. He's added his fingerprints to the crime scene or his footprint or something like that. What I find especially fascinating about this is that there was a project launched by Business Against Crime South Africa known as the E2 project, E2 meaning eyes and ears. Yes. And it launched in Gauteng with great success quite some time back, and then earlier this month they launched in the Western Cape. And in essence what they're saying is that you have such a huge security industry. In fact, security is double that of the police the army and the correctional services combined that they've now acknowledged that the security companies have an important role to play reactively and that they force multipliers on the ground. But what you're saying is that these force multipliers mustn't just be trained in security skills. They need to be able to assess a situation and to be able to ensure that evidence is contained in such a manner without them coming into contact with that evidence purely by 
the correct crime scene management and preservation. Yeah, that's correct, 100%. So where do you see this going? What is your target market specifically? Well, our target market specifically is going to be the, the security companies. Um, you know, it's yes, like you said, they are a force multiplier, number one. Number two, they outnumber the South African police and military two to one. So, And inevitably, they are the first responders on the scene before even SAPS arrives these days. So, you know... Our target market will be the security companies, and I think specifically for those security companies, we'll be looking at the supervisors, particularly in the, at their levels. So when they respond to a scene, um, we might actually assist in getting some sort of box in their vehicle that we'll supply to them that will have the necessary equipment for them to actually then cordon off that scene and actually then manage that scene and deal with it until SAPs can actually arrive and take over. I think it's necessary to just advise our listeners that um, this particular product that, that Sean is developing will initially be offered under the IRS banner, of which I do have a vested interest. So this should be considered an endorsement in any way. It's just a very fascinating subject, and I think it's a very interesting product going to market, which is why IRS has associated itself with this. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be chatting to Sean more about him um, his passion for, for training people in, in respect of firearm safety, etc., and a concept that Sean came up with a while ago known as SMART. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas. Today I'm in conversation with Sean Rudd, who is running an organization that is involved with training people to effectively preserve crime scenes. Sean, before we went to break, I mentioned that you were also involved in a project known as SMART. SMART is a concept that you've come up with, that you've copyrighted. What is SMART? What does it stand for? What was the, the reasoning behind it? Okay. SMART itself is obviously you break it down in terms of letters. So S-M-A-R-T, a security medical armed response team. Now, obviously, in terms of security, we specialize when it comes to events, events management, event security, and things in and around that. Obviously, medical these days, um, and obviously, as mentioned previously to the break, um, I deal with firearm safety and things like that. Now, in the country, you also find various things called stop the bleed courses that are offered. And um, we found that up to 80% of people um, that are initially shot land up dying or passing on due to actual blood loss. Um, how to ascertain that is if you get shot and it hits an artery, something like that. If you had to be hit like that and you look down at the ground or lying on the floor and you see the equivalent of about two liters of milk lying around you, you're in trouble. Reason being is human body carries between four and six liters of, of blood. And if you've lost that much blood, you need actual medical assistance, which we can then provide where we basically get to you, um, get you sorted out on the scene, get you treated, and more than likely get you to hospital as quick as possible. Reason being is these days waiting on average for ambulance, you could wait 15 minutes or more. Um, if you get helivac yes, it's a little bit quicker, but our job will try and be to actually move you as quick as possible with your consents, get you treated, get you stabilized, and actually get you to a hospital that can then treat you for that that actual injury. Um, best way to do that um, these days, and a lot of people start carrying them, CAT-7 tourniquets um, or Israeli bandage, which helps actually stop the bleed. Um, it's also good to have things like chest seals, especially if you're shot um, in the chest area, to help close that off. So coming back to it, then obviously our responses, uh, if we are going to be assisting you and coming into a hostile environment, um, our teams are trained in terms of firearms and basically can and are armed to get you and help you out should you need that. Um, 
and then you know it's a team we work together it's a, a bunch of guys that we're looking at um putting together and it's the way we work you know we believe in in a working close knit and being a family and and doing exactly that working close to one another and actually being there for one another so Becky Chell has come out of late and um for those that 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 um, are purists, I do apologise. I'm going to try to pronounce it correctly. Becky Kele has come out of late wanting to disarm civilians who have licensed firearms. You're very passionate about firearms. You spend every second week on on the range training people in the different firearm disciplines. What what is your personal viewpoint on the fact that our Minister of Police feels fit to make such statements that the the civilians should be disarmed? Well, the thing is, I mean, firstly, I don't believe firearms are dangerous. It's technically the person wielding that firearms that's actually the issue. Now, I want to see Becky Kelly walk around with his bodyguards and unarm them. Let's see what happens then, see how that scenario turns and see what he then thinks, especially when something happens in terms of scenario. Um, you know, also it's been proven various countries in the world that have been disarmed have led to unfortunate genocides where people haven't been able to defend themselves and you've had either gangs or militias come in and actually wipe out little villages or towns at a time. And those people could not defend themselves or their families and then kind of switch or flip the switch and go to a country like, for instance, I think it's Sweden, if I remember correctly, where if you actually go to the army, um, which is required, you are then issued with an actual rifle, which you are allowed to then take home and keep with you for that exact reason, for self-defense. So, you know, look at countries where, for England, for instance, England, um, where the police generally are the only people who are allowed to carry firearms or their specialized units. I mean, look at the hooligism after a game. There's guys with knives, bottles stabbing each other, and you land up with a few illegal weapons, unfortunately. But, you know, my thing comes back to if you're a legal firearms owner, you're, you know that you're going to be required to buy by certain laws and you are then supposed to uphold and are held to those laws according to SAPS. So, you know, I think the biggest thing in South Africa is in terms of firearms is illegal firearms, uh, that are coming through the, the black market. Um, or unfortunately you do land up with a few civilians occasionally that get held up and the firearm gets taken from them and the serial numbers filed off, that type of thing. But those are the biggest instances and the biggest problems because I, I just don't see legal firearms owners handing in their firearms because the criminals aren't going to do that. So surprisingly, the country you're alluding to where all able-bodied males between certain ages, I think it would be between 18 and 55, um, who've done partial military service because they don't have as long a conscription as other countries, is Switzerland. And Switzerland is the land of peace, it's the land of the Red Cross, it's the land of treaties, etc. Yet the Swiss have armed each and every one of their Swiss male citizens in respect of their, of their training to protect their country. And it's a country that has one of the lowest crime rates in the world. So you make the valid point that um, it's not the firearm, it's the person behind it, and it's the culture that we need to address. So South Africa has a very violent culture. And early in the show, we were chatting to um, Vincent May from um, On Point Protection Skills, which is a Canadian-based organization that comes here to offer training. And we realized that if we've got people coming back from Canada to offer training, both in the rural and in the urban sense, and you have yourself that's on the shooting range training people, there is a need for us to be able to take um, control of our lives and fight back against criminals. Correct, 100%. 
So I, I, I personally don't agree with the fact that civilians should be disarmed. But how do you believe we can address the illegal firearms trade? Um, in terms of the illegal firearms trade, it's, it's something that's very difficult and tricky to control. Um, you know, we, we have to rely on SAPs for this and, and coming back to them because in our country, they are the people that are in control of actually initially issuing you with a firearm or even your competency license to get your firearm firstly. So to me, I, I believe it falls to them to, to possibly find out where these firearms are coming in, if they can, um, or get hold of the people that are actually bringing them in and try and work that back, um, use them, find out where that, those firearms are coming from or find out where the illegal ammunition is coming from and, and just actually maybe clamp down on that aspect of it. The illegal firearms is... I believe is doing the most damage in this country. So let's go back to the original conversation we had in respect of, of crime scene management. I think that if the correct preservation of a crime scene takes place, if, if there are, if there are criminals who are shot or even good guys who are shot and that crime scene isn't secured properly, those firearms could be stolen from that crime scene and go back into circulation. So it actually all ties in. It, it definitely does, and I, I must agree with you there because um, coming back to a point that in terms of with Becky Sale, disarming people or people handing in firearms due to expired licenses, they've actually just made things a, a lot more difficult. And as we've seen previously, there were certain SAPS members in the Cape that were actually handing out firearms coming into SAPS, selling it on to the gangs in the Cape. Now, all that is doing is provoking further violence with firearms that were handed in to be destroyed. And the next thing, you as a civilian now get called into SAPS and said, well, you've just shot somebody in the Cape. Well, no, you handed your hand your firearm into SAPS. It's now been sold onto a gang member in the Cape and shot somebody. And now you're being held accountable. So, you know, that it spins in so many different ways. And picking up firearms from, from scenes is a known thing. It does happen. Um, to the point sometimes where you, you might even have SAFs members get called into a scene, and the reason they call to a scene is that the, the criminals want them there because they know if I get hold of, for instance, a SAFs vehicle, I might pick up anything from an R1, R4, R5 rifle, fully automatic, um, and maybe two to three handguns that allow me now to go and f- commit further crimes, but using a weapon that is fully automatic is something you can't compete with with a normal handgun or as a civilians that are only issued with semi-automatic rifles. So this past Saturday was the um, Civilian Crime Intelligence Network conference that you attended, and you saw the, the, the relationship now in respect of the private sector coming together with the public sector. For you, are these partnerships important? You know what? Um, like we said earlier in terms of numbers, if you look at civilians and and private partnerships definitely i mean coming back to the number of 550,000 security guards in south africa outnumbering your police two to one and military i mean we're basically the biggest force multiplier on the ground at the moment we are the ones as civilians and, and private individuals with various companies that are actually making the difference so i have to agree with you yes do you anticipate that um, security companies, armed response companies, and the police as a whole will embrace this concept of first responders also ensuring that a crime scene is preserved so that the police forensics can arrive and do what's, res- what's required of them? I would say yes. I mean, if you think about it, if that scene is preserved properly, your chances of actually finding a suspect or getting the correct DNA without it being tampered with or contaminated is going to be so much greater. Whereas if they come on and they do contaminate that, your your 
chances of actually then finding out who their suspect was goes down dramatically. So, yeah, I definitely believe so. It's going to be very, very important for first responders to get that training. Sean, it's been a very interesting conversation today, and I think what, what, what I'm taking away from this is the fact that we see more and more involvement of the private sector in assisting the public sector and the state law enforcement agencies in helping to um, prevent as well as react to crime. Do you believe this relationship going forward in respect of this will be formalized, that there will be actual memorandums of understanding between security companies and, and the police, or do you think that's a bit too far down the line? You know what, I don't think it's too far down the line myself. Um, reason being is, if you think about SAPs, they're always asking individuals within the community to be eyes and ears. Now, kind of your first responders or security companies are becoming that, where they're always dealing with crime firsthand as well. They're in the streets like SAPs, and they're there to actually help you and the community and actually help SAPs on the back end. So I don't see why not um, that there would be memorandums and certain agreements going forward between SAPs and and the security companies um, and that sector. What is fortunate is that in terms of the Criminal Procedure Act, there's a specific section that states if the police instruct an individual to assist, that individual has to assist them or they liable for um, criminal prosecution. And I think that being said, if the police are actively asking for assistance, they can use that loophole that already exists within the Criminal Procedure Act to seek that assistance from the private sector. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100% on that, yes. Sean, thank you so much for coming into studio. Um, we'll be keeping our listeners updated as to the developments of your products. But um, I think it's I think it's something that's very necessary. And I'd just like to remind the listeners that I did mention from the outset that uh, the, the crime scene division is something that is involved with a company that uh, I have a shareholding in, which is IRS. But that I thought it was important that we discuss this um, as it's, it's something that is definitely going to be able to assist communities. Sean, thank you so much for coming in today. Pleasure. Absolute, absolutely nice chatting with you, Chad. I look forward to our next chat.